Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Lori Ann Wood. Lori Ann is on the show today chatting about how a little perseverance goes a long way based on my devotional, A Little Goes a Long Way, 52 Days to a Significant Life. She's sharing about her life detour that reordered her priorities and rattled her faith. Her experience inspired her book, Divine Detour, and she's encouraging us to believe that the path you never choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. Hi, Lori Ann, and welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Oh, Rachel, it's great to be here. What a special gift. Well, you and I, we, I was trying to think back how we first met, but we have been kind of like online friends for quite a while now. And so we've kind of been in each other's lives, cheerleading each other on in our own writing uh, journeys. And so this is really fun to get to introduce you to my listeners today. And so today's conversation is all about how a little perseverance goes a long way Mm -hmm. based on my devotional, a little goes a long way, 52 days to a significant life. And interestingly enough, although, I said, we've connected as writing friends. You've not always been a writer, but a life detour reordered your priorities and rattled your faith. So would you begin by telling us more about this detour? Yes, it's been about seven years ago. I was just having a normal life, really. I was feeling a little bit sluggish and fatigued. I it was the week before Thanksgiving. So there was a lot going on and I had some kids at home. I had some kids coming home from college and I was doing all the things to get ready for Thanksgiving, but I, I knew I wasn't a hundred percent. So I kind of put off going to the doctor, went to convenient care a couple of times, but finally on Friday after Thanksgiving, I'm like, I need to see my regular doctor. And I went in And immediately my life changed because he took a chest x-ray and found that I had an extremely enlarged heart and it was functioning at just 6%. So he put me in ICU and I stayed there for a couple of weeks and was so surprised to hear the diagnosis of end-stage heart failure because that was never on my radar. I had no risk factors. I had no family history of any kind of heart disease. And I had really good numbers. I had low cholesterol. I had low blood pressure. I had no lifestyle indicators. And so everyone was scrambling, trying to figure out what in the world happened here. And I was just kind of hanging on that I later learned, they don't tell you this in the hospital when you're really sick, but thankfully, but they didn't think I would leave the hospital. And then I did. And I left with this external defibrillator vest that you wear. It's called a life vest. And I wore that for nine months. I titrated all these medications to their maximum dosages and nothing happened. People were praying for me around the clock and I was alive, but I wasn't getting any better. And, and then I was, I got an internal uh, device, which I still have. And I, I kind of just hung on for 16 months. And then 16 months to the day that I was diagnosed, I came down with appendicitis and had to have my appendix out. And none of the doctors would operate on me because they said, you know, with a heart like that, and am not touching that. And 
they said, well, let's just take another, what they take is an echocardiogram. They said, let's just take another one to see where you are before we make a decision. And they found that my heart was functioning at almost normal when they mm -hmm. took that exam. And I was just as shocked at that point as I was when I got the diagnosis, because I had no idea, was it normal? And I thought that was the end of my story. I thought, oh God, I get it. This story has been one of healing and provision and answered prayer. And I'm going to tell that story for you. I understand now my purpose and the story, and I see the finished story arc. And then three years ago, my heart function dropped and I found myself in active heart failure again. And so well, while this has been a really hard and up and down health journey, the real story is about what happened to my faith during that time. And that's the story that God was writing, not a story about healing in my physical body or any of that. And so that's been what this whole book and this whole detour has been about. Well, so how is your health now? I mean, looking at you, I would never guess that anything was wrong. So I'd be interested to hear how, how you are now. I am a very high functioning heart failure patient, which in some ways is really good because I, I am able to do a lot, but initially it was bad because I didn't see it. And I just continued on with what I was doing. I, I can function pretty well. I know my limits, um, heart failure, causes a lot of fatigue. And then to add on to that, the medication that treats heart failure also causes fatigue. So you sort of get this double whammy of just being tired all the time because your heart is working so hard. But I found that I have this middle part of my day where I can really make it count. And so I've, I've been able to, you know, it's it, heart failure is a chronic progressive disease. So it's not something that ever goes away and it only goes in one direction. And people hear that and they say, well, why did you have this normal reading? Well, when you're on this downward, if you think about a downward line graph, sometimes in that graph, you can have spikes that go up temporarily, but the overall direction is still downward. And so that's what was happening to me. I was still going down, but I'd have these spikes that go up during that time. And right now I'm at this lower plateau. I'm functioning well. I've learned how to manage my day and my expectations and what I can get done. But I think what, what I've been most surprised about is while my health has had these ups and downs, and now I'm at this lower plateau, my faith has almost had an opposite direction. And it is much, much stronger than it was before I got this diagnosis. I, you know, I thought I had a strong faith before, but after this, it has taken me to places and caused me to question and, and really wrestle with some things that have made it even stronger. You know, it's so, because I just, I think when things like what you've had to experience happen, it's, it's maybe the most natural response is to be angry at God mm -hmm. and like, why is this happening to me? Why can't I do what I want to do when I want to do it? And, um, 
And I'm so inspired by what you're saying about your faith. And I know that that's so much of what your book, Divine Detour, is about. And it's actually a book of essays to gently guide women to confront the three most important questions in her life. So what are those questions? Those questions sort of presented themselves to me. The book itself was prompted and born of my diagnosis and my illness, but it's not primarily about my medical events. Like you said, it's this guide to help people recognize that there's three questions that every life is going to answer. And I think they always nag at the back of our mind throughout life. But when you get thrown on a detour, when your life takes this turn that you didn't want it to take and you didn't have any control over, those questions demand to be answered. And I learned after I started writing and pouring out what was on my heart that the questions I was asking, those three questions were the same three questions that Jesus faced when he was detoured into the desert right before his public ministry began. And those questions, they they sort of fell out. They presented themselves. And it was only until I started, I was studying the those 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert, unrelated to what I was doing. I was just studying that. And it became apparent that what I was wrestling with was what he was wrestling with. And then I heard from readers that that's what they were wrestling with. And so that's when I knew I had something. So the three questions, the first one is what I call a question of worry. And that is, is this life all there is? And that question informs how we make all kinds of decisions on a daily basis and how we focus our efforts and all sorts of things fall out of that one question. And when I looked at it in the book, I looked at things like loss and uncertainty and fear and regret. And then the second question that I think everyone confronts in their life is a question of doubt. And that question is, is God always good? And and this one comes up so much. I think if you were to Google the top faith questions, this one's always going to be up somewhere near the top. Is God always good? And when you're thrown on this detour and you thought you had this thing going with God and it doesn't feel like you have this thing going with God, you start to question that. And I looked at things like protection and resilience and vulnerability and idols And then the third question that came out of what I was writing was a question of control. And this might've been the toughest one for me. It's a question of, is God's plan enough? Can I have some input into how my life is going or do I follow God's plan? And I looked at things like disappointment and failure and waiting and trust. And so All of that became this group of 40 essays. And the thing that I I like about them is that it's not not a progression from first you solve the question of worry, and then you go to the question of doubt, and then you go to the question of control. You are always revisiting all those questions. And so the book is set up in a way that each essay is a standalone essay, and you can read it anytime you can reread it. You can come back to it. 
you can look through the topics and figure out which one speaks to you that day. And so that made it something that wasn't a chronological account of my medical events or even a, a chronological guide for someone, but just a guide for where they are in that particular season of their life. So how do you think these, these questions that they, how do you think that they can strengthen our faith? Cause we all ask them at one time yeah. or another. Yes. You know, questions I think are something for me anyway, I found that questions are what kept me tethered to God in those hard times because I was contending with God. I was wrestling with him. I was poking and prodding because I, I've always known about God. I don't remember a time when I thought, Hmm, I wonder if God is real. I was raised in a Christian home and it was never a question of whether God existed or whether he was real. And so when I came up on this detour, I knew I had to get to the bottom of if this God is real, what's going on. And so I, I wrestled with him and I got down on, on the mat with him on a daily basis. And what that did for me is I was waking up every day with God top of mind. If I wasn't asking those questions, it would have been so easy to just ignore him. And I was, you know, choosing God again and again and again, every single day. Okay, God, let's figure this out. Why is this happening? How long? Where are you? All the things that we hear in Psalms in the form of questions were coming out in my journey as well. And so those questions ended up... And I, I think as a mom, I maybe wasn't great at that with my kids, but I figured out that those faith, faith questions didn't threaten my faith at all. They were what refined it and made it practical and made it useful. And so those questions became really a lifeline to God in those times. You mentioned that you are a lifelong believer, that you still felt disappointed in the God that you thought that you knew. So why did you come to the conclusion then that we can trust a God who disappoints? That was a, something that I worked through over maybe years since my diagnosis is how do I get to the point of trusting this God who, you know, usually when we form trust, it's because we have this uh, consistency with someone and I was at a point where I didn't feel like God was being consistent and I, I didn't know how to bridge that gap. I knew he was there and I knew I was here, but there was this gap. And so what I finally realized was that I was equating God's goodness and God's trustworthiness with how well my life was going according to my plan. You know, I had this plan laid out for my life, and as long as it was going according to what I had envisioned, then God was good. But when I got off my self-constructed plan, then suddenly God wasn't good and he wasn't trustworthy, which makes no sense. You know, and we can look at that now and say, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. But in our lives, we do that. And I write about that in, in the book about how we often hold God to standards that we create ourselves. And we, we feel like he breaks promises that he never makes. And so there's several essays in the book about 
what God's promises are and, and what he did say and what we can expect from God. So that's the, that's where I came to it is the, my lack of trust with God really stemmed from the fact that I was trying to hold him to a standard that he never promised. Oh, that's like super convicting. And <laughs> if I'm, I mean, I'm nodding the entire time you're talking, thinking I, I do that. I'm so guilty of that. And so I'm kind of interested, like, well, how, what are the promises then we need to stand on? I guess that's why we need to be so much in his word to know what he says, what he's actually promising. Um, do you have anything else yes. to say on that? Yes. I think, you know, a lot of times we often think that God promises this safe, predictable life. And he never did. He didn't model that. His followers didn't model that in the scripture. And, and yet we hold him to that for that's one of the ones that I was holding him to. And I I realized that I, I couldn't do that because that was just something that I, I made up. And like you said, I think sometimes we, we want that so much that we read it into scripture when it's not really there. And, and sometimes you just have to be, and I think that's why the detour was so valuable to me is sometimes you have to be on that detour to really peel back the the layers of what's true and what's real and get back to just the base of what God said. And so there was just a lot of searching and reading and, pleading with God in that time. And the Holy Spirit was very generous in giving me um, just comfort and peace and, and some understanding. And so it's something that takes a lot of time. I mean, so, and I love the the title of your book, like our detours are divine. They are, there is purpose in them, even though we may not understand at the time. And it may feel like it's way longer than we would like. And we don't understand even where we're going. It may really just feel like a very much a desert kind of season. So do you have any advice on how to navigate these kind of desert seasons? That is exactly, I think, what people feel like when they go on a detour. And that's part of why we chose that title for the book is that you know, when you think about a detour on the highway, you you have this plan and you're headed down the highway and you've got your GPS set. And then all of a sudden there's this detour sign and you didn't choose to go on the detour and it's not the prettiest way and it's not the fastest way and it's not the smoothest way, but you take it. And along the way, some things maybe happen, but you eventually get to where you are trying to go. And, you know, that is when we go on a detour, we are, um, we're getting to a place where we're having to trust God in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. And, and that detour often involves a silent period when you're, you know, you think about a desert and you're detoured into the desert, like Jesus was, it's kind of a lonely, quiet, hard time. And, you know, it might not be a disease like mine was, but it might be a divorce or an estranged child or financial difficulty or some other disaster. And you find yourself in this lonely, quiet, hard place. And when I was in that place before I had any heart improvement at all, I felt like God was giving me the silent treatment. And I sometimes imagined him with his fingers in his ears, you know, humming, like, I know you're talking to me, but I don't hear you. 
And it kind of irritated me. And I gave him the silent treatment right back. I, you know, it's like a teenager slamming the door on my parent and saying, "Mm -mm. if you're going to treat me that way, I'm going to treat you this way. And so what happened in those, that desert season is I learned that it's okay to borrow words because I needed that in that silent, hard time. I borrowed words. I had people praying for me around the clock when I just couldn't pray. I just couldn't do it. I had uh, several people give me books from other trusted Christian authors where I could read their thoughts when scripture just seemed too rich. It seemed too hard. It seemed too heavy for me. And Christian songs, when I couldn't even read anything, those words seeped into my heart and, and kept me tethered to God in those times. And so I learned it's okay to borrow words temporarily so that you don't lose your tether to your faith. And um, that's what I would say when people are in those desert seasons and they're having that quiet time and it feels like God is so distant, just find a way, find a way to hold on and borrow words from someone however that looks for you temporarily to hold on to your faith, because if you could just hold on during that time, when you get to the other side or when you get to a better place, you you'll be stronger. Well, that segues perfectly into the scripture that I was thinking about, because scripture tells us that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. So has, it sounds to me as you're talking that this has been true of your experience. Would you say so? I do think so. The, that quiet time when I didn't have words and I was giving God the silent treatment, what I wanted to do was put this fragile faith that I had all my life and put it on a shelf and walk away and say, I'll get back to you when my life comes together. But what we really needed to do was get in there and acknowledge the suffering and see it for what it is and what it can produce, because that's how that subtitle of my book came out, which is the path you'd never choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. You know, I, I, I read something last week and I don't remember who said it, but they said, there's no Christianity without the cross. And I thought, wow, you know, I think most of my life I had been picking and choosing all the good parts of Christianity and saying, okay, these are all the ones I want. And that suffering part, that cross part, eh, that's okay. I did most of them. I got, I got the majority of them. But really, we can't have a deep connection with God. We can't have that uh, deep Christianity and that deep um, understanding and the hope that comes with it unless we have a cross. And that cross, everyone has them. You know, it doesn't have to be, I've had people say, oh, mine is not nearly as bad as yours, but it's it's not a competition. It's just that whatever is placed in your life that is that cross is what tethers you to God and gets you to the faith that will last forever. You know, my husband said something to me when I was in ICU that he said, you're trading what you can't keep 
for something you can never lose. Hmm. And what he was saying is this body and this life that we've constructed for ourselves, we can't keep it. And we know we can't. Our children grow up, our parents grow old. We can't keep this life, but we can trade that for something we can never lose, which is that relationship with God and our, our destiny and our place in eternity. And so that is what I think speaks to me when I think about that suffering eventually produces that hope because that hope and true hope can only be in that which lasts forever. Yeah. Oh goodness. I I love so much of what you're saying and it's all so powerful and so much that I, I know I want to remember and, and I'm just so inspired by your perseverance through every season that you've gone through. And so this is a question that I'm kind of tailoring to every guest just based on the topic. So Lorianne, how has a little perseverance gone a long way in your own life? The, the perseverance that I, you know, a lot of people will look at me seven years into what doctors said, you'll be lucky if you live six months diagnosis and say your perseverance is in your health. You know, you have Hey, you're hanging on, you're doing the right things. You know, I'm uh, changed my diet, which I already thought was healthy, but getting rid of all the sodium and all the things that go along with a heart failure diagnosis. But really the perseverance that I had and that I, I think caused me to change the way I was living in the, in the biggest way is that I just persevered in those questions that I had, those little questions that nagged at me that honestly, I was a little bit embarrassed to be asking because like I said before, I had been a Christian all my life and I was asking these really basic faith questions. And I thought, how, how can I be asking these questions at this stage of my life, I'm, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't know if I want to tell anyone that I'm still asking if God is always good. And what I found was that all those people that I was admiring and considering spiritual mentors, they were asking those questions too. And so the perseverance was in embracing those questions and not running away from them and to, and to keep asking them because you know, I didn't write this book and all of a sudden I have an answer to all those three questions. The The questions still come up and I still ask them. And I think the power is in asking the question in having the permission to ask the question and not so much in an answer from God that we might not even understand. We not might not be in a position to understand or capability to understand. And so that's what I think my perseverance has gone a long way in my own life is that I just persevered through those ugly, uh, nagging questions of my faith, even after, you know, being a Christian for decades. So I just have to believe that there's a woman listening that she is in a detour season right now as we speak. And so she's just wondering, how do I persevere in that? So how would you encourage her today? One of the things that I have really clung to and really, um, you know, when you study something and then you go back to scripture, all of a sudden these things pop up in scripture that you never, it's always been there, but you never saw it before. 
And one of the themes that I've seen is that when you look at scripture as a whole, God will go to any length to keep the conversation going with you. And he's proven that throughout history and throughout scripture that he'll do anything at any cost to him and at any cost to you to get that relationship with you, to keep the conversation going. And so I would say anyone that is in a season where they feel like they're on a detour or they feel like they're in this desert and it's quiet and it's hard, that if the one thing you can do is to just keep the conversation going with God, whether you are borrowing words, whether you are just asking questions in prayer, and that's the only prayer you can get out, just keep that conversation going because that's what he wants more than anything is that relationship. And a relationship can't continue if we slam the door and walk away. So that would be my best advice for anyone that feels like they've been detoured in life. Yeah. And, you know, I was just to add to that when you were talking, I was thinking about how many people you said came alongside you, you know, to encourage you and pray with you, you know, your, your spouse and your children and your doctors and your friends and your church congregation. It's like, we can help each other to persevere when, like you were even saying, like borrowing words from the the Bible, borrowing words from lyrics of songs, borrowing from other authors, like the, the role that we have in each other's perseverance in the detour, like let's join each other in the detour, you know, (laughs) to help each other till we get to the promised land, so to speak. So, um, gosh, I just love this message so much and just love your heart and um well figuratively and literally literally right um <laughs> and so I know I want to stay connected with you Lori Ann and I'm sure listeners are going to want to as well so tell us how we can do that yes my website is lauriannwood.com and one of the things I if, if there's anyone listening who feels like they're in that period of silence with God and it doesn't make sense and you, you're really struggling, I kept a journal during that time and I did a lot of digging in scripture because I knew there was a God out there and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't hear him. And so I have a resource on my website that's called Five Prayers and Promises When You Can't Talk to God. And if anyone would like to have that, I would love to send that to them because it was helpful for me to be able to find those things in scriptures, to have a prayer that someone else wrote because I wasn't feeling it at the time. And so that's at laurieannwood.com slash hope. And then my book, Divine Detour, is also available from Amazon and other places. And more information and a book trailer on that is at laurieannwood.com slash books. I'll be sure to include that in the show notes, but Lori Ann, thank you so much for being my guest today, for um, just encouraging us to persevere in every detour and to believe that they're divine and to believe that a little perseverance goes a long way. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Lori Ann Wood. We hope that today encouraged you in your own divine detours and to believe that a little perseverance goes a long way. This week, your little task is to get quiet with the Lord and ask Him to reveal any areas or relationships that you gave up on too soon. Resolve to finish what you started. 
If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive your weekly love offering newsletter. And all of this information can go straight to your inbox each week. You can also listen to previous podcast episodes. You can read the blog series. You can purchase this significant merchandise. You can download free resources like the guided journal, the list tracker, and the conversation guide. And you can leave a review. If you've not left a rating and review of the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so more women can find and hear this love offering message. Next week, my guest is Christy Menzer. She is on the show talking about how a little seed goes a long way. I can't wait to chat with you again then, but until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love. Thank you.